Working in San Francisco has its challenges, as I'm sure that you can imagine. But um, tonight I'm going to share with you a, a little bit about another job that I have. And so I'd like to invite all of you to come at 7.30. Who knows where we're going to meet at 7.30 tonight? Drayson Center. And uh, I think there's food, isn't there? And so uh, I know we're going to attract a lot of students, but if any of the uh, other people that may be of, uh, not, not so close to your student years, you're welcome to come as well. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the scriptures. We want to thank you for giving us Sabbath, time to stop and spend time with you. But we also want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. And right now I pray for the Holy Spirit to come and be our unseen guest, be our unseen instructor. May we learn things today that will stick with us the rest of our lives. I pray that you would help me to be able to rightly divide the words of truth so that each one of us will learn things and help us to have more faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, working in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's one of the least evangelized areas in the United States. When you look at the comparison to Seventh-day Adventists to non-Seventh-day Adventists, we have the lowest ratio. Uh, Seattle is right behind us, but San Francisco Bay Area, uh, we, we top the charts there. And working um, with uh, the secular mind, I find that there's three questions that come up a lot. And these three questions aren't just something that I've experienced. They've also done polls and research. And what they have found is that these are the top three questions that people have uh, that, that kind of uh, are the, the, the main reason that people don't even want to explore Christianity. And so as I was talking to the uh, directors here at Advent Hope and trying to come up with a title for our talk, um, I thought about these three questions because many of you here are here to learn uh, maybe medicine or nursing or physical therapy, but someday you're going to be out in the real world where you get away from Loma Linda, and when you're out there, you might uh, have somebody ask you these questions. And the thing that really impresses me is I've been uh, away from my uh, Advent uh, home where I grew up in Tennessee, I was homeschooled there in Tennessee, is Seventh-day Adventist has answers. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has a lot of good answers, and I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist, and there was a time in my life uh, where I was a uh, Badventist, and as a Badventist, you know, you, you're kind of like shying away from the Adventist Church, and you're kind of embarrassed about our heritage, but one thing I found is that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has answers for some of these questions. For example, <laughs> the first question that I hear a lot, one of the, the top questions is, if God is such a God of love, and God is a God of choice, why is he going to burn and torture people that don't choose him? I mean, that really doesn't sound like a choice, does it? I mean, if I were to give you a choice, we would like to invite you to come hiking with us this afternoon, Sabbath afternoon walk. But uh, if you don't, that's fine. It's, it's your choice. We, do, we, we, wanna, we don't want to pressure you or anything. But, you know, if you come walking with us, it's going to be a nice hike. You get to meet our dogs. Uh, by the way, our dogs are really cute. They're called Kimchi and Kimbap. Um, so you can come walk and, and, and hang out with our dogs, Kimchi and Kimbap. But if you choose not to, then we're going to lock you in a car and we're going to beat you and flog you and burn you for the next five million years. Does that sound like choice to you? And the neat thing is, is the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been given a message. And one of our messages is that there is a God of love and there is a God of choice. And he is not a God that's going to torture you forever and ever and ever. I think of a close friend of mine, and we go paragliding on a regular basis. And this is one of the reasons he had a real problem with Christianity, is because the whole idea that you're telling me that your God wants me to come and spend eternity with him, but if not, then he's going to torture me. 
And when you find the Seventh-day Adventist Church is one of the few churches that's around right now that's helping people to understand exactly what the Bible truth is about hell. Another one of the difficult questions you're going to hear is if God is a God of love, if God is so powerful, why is there so much suffering on this planet? And if you know, if you've been in the healthcare profession, you'll see some things that just really turn your stomach. You'll see some things that just, if you could stop it, why doesn't God stop it? And I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church has an answer to that, and it's known as the Great Controversy. How many of you have ever read the book Great Controversy? I would encourage you, if you have not read the book Great Controversy, I challenge you today, go and read that book Great Controversy, because the book Great Controversy helps us to clearly see that there's a big fight going on behind the scenes. And this fight goes way back, a long time before this world was even created. And this fight is between Christ and who? Satan, Satan, the fallen angel, and this angel really hates God, and he hates anything to do with God and anything that God has his fingerprints on. And so when you see the great controversy and you see the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the one that really brought this to light, and now a lot of other churches are starting to catch on, you could say. A friend of mine is in theology school. He wants to be a pastor, and he's going to an evangelical seminary, and he says it's amazing how they have the concept of the great controversy down so well. And I just have to say, praise the Lord, because God has given that message to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I believe, to share with other people. Now, the third question that I hear a lot about, and I'm going to spend the most time today, is the question that, why are Seventh-day, I mean, why are Christians so exclusive? I mean, you say as Christians that if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and if you don't believe Jesus Christ uh, died for your sins, then you're going to be lost. I think of David Bevan, an atheist that I've worked with for about uh, 21 years there in the Bay Area. He is an atheist. He grew up as a Christian in England. He grew up going to church on a regular basis. He went to a Bible academy, and he went to a Bible uh, summer camp, like we would call, you know, summer camp, and he worked with the young people, and now he's an atheist. And the reason he became an atheist, he told me, is because, he says, when I grew up into my 20s and I saw there was thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world that had never even heard of Christ, and they're going to be burning forever and ever and ever, that has a big flaw with that mentality. Is Christianity the only way? If a person does not accept Jesus Christ, are they going to be lost? It's interesting. They did a study recently, and they asked, they said, if a person is sincerely seeking God, he or she can obtain eternal life through religions other than Christianity. And they found that 77% of Protestant pastors strongly disagreed with that. I was talking to a young lady one time. And, you know, this is not just the evangelical pastors. I find this creeps into the Adventist church as well. And this person was saying, you know what, I just have a real problem. I mean, the Adventist church is growing, but we're, there's people dying that have not become Seventh-day Adventists. Are they all going to be lost? A person came to me one time, and they says, Mark, they were completely unchurched. And they says, I got this joke. You're going to love this joke. I read it the other day, and it's a Seventh-day Adventist joke. And they know I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and so they had to share with me a Seventh-day Adventist joke. And the Seventh-day Adventist joke goes something like this. There's a man that went to heaven, and as he's going around heaven, the uh, you know, angel, whoever you want to say, Gabriel. Gabriel's showing him around heaven. And they're looking around, and, and he sees everything. And he sees all these people in heaven, and it's beautiful and everything. And then he sees this big wall. And on, on the other side of that wall, he hears all this laughing. He goes, what's that? And the angel goes, shh. 
And the angel takes him over to this place in the wall where there's a one-way glass. And he looks through and he sees all these people on the other side. And these people are eating haystacks. And these people are playing. And these people are just having a good time. And the angel's like, and he goes, what? He goes, those are Seventh-day Adventists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> and the person thought, I found an Adventist joke for Mark. But it just made my heart just sad. Is that what people think Seventh-day Adventists believe, is we're the only ones going to heaven? Just a few months ago, the Southern Baptist Convention invited um, Ben Carson to come and speak for them. And then they uninvited him because their young pastors has a problem with his theology because they felt that we're a cult and they're the ones that are going to be saved. And when you work with Jehovah's Witnesses, what do they think? They're the ones going to be saved. And you work with the Mormons, and what do they think? And you work with the Muslims, and what do they say? And so this isn't just where we're saying that only Christians are going to be saved. It's easy for us to think that we're the only ones going to be saved. But again, I think that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, if we go back to what our church actually thinks and not what we sometimes believe, I think it's going to really open our eyes to what God's will is for all of us. And so I would like to share with you some verses. The first verse is in John chapter 1. I'll put the verses up on the screen. You're welcome to pull out your iPhones or your Android devices. Or if some of you actually have the paper, you know, that's kind of in lines like this called a book, you can pull that out. We go to John chapter 1, and it says, this was the true light. Who is John talking about here? Jesus. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. And John says, Jesus is the true light. Now, can we all agree that we believe Jesus is the true light? Okay, so Jesus is the true light, and it says that gives light to every man that comes into the world. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for just a minute, because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is responsible for giving light to how many people that come into the world? Everybody. Now, the reason I'm a Seventh-day Adventist is because I was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home in Tennessee. The reason there's somebody that's a Muslim is because he was raised in Afghanistan in a Muslim family. And this was a real dilemma for me whenever I became a young adult and I had graduated from college and I was living down in Florida because I had to ask myself, is the only reason I'm a Seventh-day Adventist is because I was raised that way? And so I had to take a step back and I started looking at every worldwide religion. I started looking at the different things because I'm like, I don't want to just be an Adventist because I was raised that way. But there's this idea that's out there that the people that are going to be saved are saved because you and I went out and we witnessed to them. But friends, the Bible says God is ultimately responsible through Jesus Christ for bringing light to every person in the world. And I just love this verse because it says this was the true light that gives light to every man that comes into the world. That means Jesus is personally responsible for bringing light to somebody who's born in Afghanistan, who lives his whole life in Afghanistan, who is old in Afghanistan and has never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is still going to give him light. Do we believe that? Yes or no? Now, this opens up the whole question, why should you and I go out and witness if Jesus is already on track doing it, that's another whole topic. And if you guys invite me back someday, we might look at that in the future. Let me share with you another verse. Acts chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, it says, In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. 
You see, God speaks to us primarily through the scriptures. But what if you live in a country that doesn't have any scriptures? Is all the avenues for God communicating with uh, humans blocked off? How, what does this verse here say that God communicates to people through? Through nature or through his providences. It says he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. You see, God speaks to humans through scripture, but he can also speak to humans through his providences. And if a person does not have access to the scriptures, God is still working on that person's life. And one of the ways he uses is his providences through the book of nature. In fact, Ellen White tells us that nature is what? God's what? Second lesson book. So I would encourage all of you this afternoon to get out into God's second nature book. Sabbath is not a day for you to spend all the time in lay activities. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. When the, word, when the Bible uses the word here, Gentile, in Bible times, in New Testament times, there was kind of like this Jew and Gentile, or Jew and everybody else. So when he uses the phrase here, Gentiles, talking about everybody else, all those other people out there, because as Jews, they felt they have the Torah, they have the scriptures, they're blessed with the scriptures. And here Paul is telling them in Romans, he says, wait a minute, when Gentiles who don't have the Torah, they don't have the scriptures, when they do what's required by the scriptures, even though they don't have the law, what are they showing? That the law is written where? On their hearts. Who wrote the law on their hearts? Jesus, who is the light who lights every man who comes into the world. The verse goes on and says, Their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So God can speak to us through his written word. God can speak through us through nature. And how else does God speak to us? What's that word right up there near the top? Our conscience. Now, we have a lot of young people here, and I just want to be really frank with you now that I'm not a young person, I'm an old person. Really listen to your conscience. Because your conscience is something that if, if you ignore your conscience and you say no to your conscience... God speaks to us through our conscience, and as we ignore our conscience, our conscience starts becoming a little bit seared, a little bit jaded, a little bit, you could say, with scar tissue over it. The Bible talks about people whose consciences have been seared with like a hot iron. If you go out and you want to brand a cow, you take that cow and you hold the cow down, and you take your brand and you get it red hot, and you go and you right on his rear there, and, and now he has a, a, a brand on him. It's been seared like with a hot iron. And one thing you'll notice is that somebody who has a lot of burns and a lot of this scar tissue, they don't have as good a feeling as they had before. And when you and I don't listen to our consciences, when we don't listen to God speaking to us through our consciences, friends, we're shutting off a way that God can speak to us directly. 
The Bible tells us with our consciences that it says their thoughts now accusing, now defending them. Have you ever had your thoughts accuse you? You don't have to raise your hand because you're afraid somebody might see you. But have you ever had your thoughts accuse you? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was so stupid. Why did you do that? But your conscience can also defend you. Have you ever had your conscience defend you? So, yeah, that's stupid. Why'd you? No, I think it was the right thing to do. Oh, come on. Why did you do that? You look like a goof in front of everyone. No, I, I think... I think that was probably the right thing to do. The Bible tells us that God can write his law on your heart. And as he writes his law on your heart, your conscience can accuse you, but your conscience can also defend you. Jesus was speaking and he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. So before Jesus comes and speaks to the Pharisees, were they guilty of sin? According to Jesus' own words here, no, they weren't guilty of sin. But now that he has come and spoken to them, now they are guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. You see this concept that if you and I don't accept Jesus Christ and be baptized, then we're not going to be saved. And that applies to the whole wide world. The Bible tells us that Jesus is working with people, each person where they're at. And he's the one that's responsible for bringing them truth. And as he brings them truth, either through written word or through their consciences or through the book of nature, if they turn away from that, what do we call that? Sin. There was a young man that came to our church. He got to know Jesus in jail there in San Mateo County. Before I was a pastor, I worked with the uh, gangs and the drug dealers of San Mateo County. And this young man, he had tattoos all over him and come to church. And he was just, he was just totally on fire, completely off track, but he was on fire. And so we worked with him for several uh, years. And finally, he uh, got his act together and... Um, and, and the, the, he, it was really, it was a struggle. It was a real tug of war because there were some real fanatics that were going to church at the time and they'd always get him off on feast days and get him off on, on the holy name and get him off this. And every time someone, t- he would run for it and be like, come on, man, let's get back on track here. So finally, he heads off to Weimar and he decided to become a minister up at Weimar. And, and to make a super long story short, he's an atheist now and he's back in gangs. And the thing that made him go is he's like, I don't want to serve a God that's going to, send all of my ancestors to hell because they weren't Seventh-day Adventists. I'm like, come on, dude. That's not really his name. So if you ever meet somebody named a dude, don't think I'm talking about him. But, you know, it's like, come on, you know, let God be the judge of them. We don't know how much light they were given. We don't know how they were living up to the light. But sometimes it's easy for us to think that, hey, you know what? Everybody has to be a Seventh-day Adventist or they're not going to be saved. And some people coming to the church, this is a big block for them. But we have to remember God is the judge Isn't that good news? That just takes a whole lot off your plate right away, doesn't it? And God says, you know what? If they didn't know, it wasn't sin for them. But if they do know, whoa, danger there, right? But we just leave that in God's hands. This idea that everybody has to become a Seventh-day Adventist or everybody has to become a Christian around the world, otherwise God's going to plunge them into hell, is not something the Bible teaches. It's something that we have come up with ourselves based on the verse and on some other verses. But one, there's one verse where Jesus says that I am the, the, and the, 
No man comes to the Father except by me. I believe that. But that doesn't say that you have to say the sinner's prayer in order to be saved. It says no one comes to the Father except by who? Jesus Christ. Do we have any kiteboarders here? None of you. Okay. My cousin is here. My cousin is teaching me how to kiteboard. Uh, I had a chance to go up to Oregon this last summer, and I did uh, the ocean. Uh, I've done the ocean before, but this was the first day I did the ocean for a long time, and I was scared to death. It was a beautiful day. The wind was perfect. The waves were perfect. He even saw a whale while we were out there. I was, like, so, like, terrified. I don't think I saw anything. But... Let's just imagine that all of you are kiteboarders and you're coming up to San Francisco and we're going to kiteboard Chrissy Field. Now, Chrissy Field is where you take, uh, you do your launch and then you go out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. If you're a beginner, don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Because you have, uh, Chrissy Field is considered one of the most dangerous areas to kiteboard in the world because you have the whole Sacramento River, the whole Delta water gushing out as a river, and then you have the tides come in. So you have to really pay attention to the tides because when the tides are going out and the river is flowing out, you can have a current of 20 knots. And so you go out there and you drop your kite and, whoa, you're going to the Farallon Islands. And the Farallon Islands are where they, view, uh, they, they make the videos of all the shark videos, okay? Because they have so many of the, uh, of the uh, what are those things that, whoop, 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 seals, thank you. They have so many <laughs> seals out there that the sharks go and they eat all the seals. So let's just say, for example, that we're all out there and then you drop your kite and your bladder's flat on your kite. On your kite, it's flat. There's probably going to be another bladder that's flat if you're out there with all those sharks. But you're, 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 uh, you dropped your kite and now you're just heading out to the fair lines, which are 26 miles out there, and you're going at 20 miles an hour. And let's say that you, know, you only have one, one thing that can rescue you. I mean, uh, Harbor Patrol there in the Bay Area, they don't go outside underneath the... Uh, Let's say they don't go out underneath the bridge. And so the only thing that's going to rescue you is the Coast Guard. Now let's just pretend, and you know, as a pastor, I can do a lot of pretend to make my point here. So let's just pretend that you don't speak any English. So you don't know even how to say Coast Guard. But Coast Guard is your only way of salvation, right? What's your only way of salvation out there? The Coast Guard. And so as you're there and you're up on your board and you're freezing to death and you're cold and you see these things going around like this in the water, suddenly the Coast Guard comes over and they sit there and they hover there in their dolphin helicopter and they start lowering down their little hoist. What is your only source of rescue? The Coast Guard. But do you have to say the name Coast Guard before they'll let you get into the basket? No. But what is your only source of rescue? The Coast Guard. What is our only way to God the Father? Jesus Christ. And even if I don't know his name, if I'm living up to all the light I have, now listen very closely. If I'm living up to all the light I have, I'm living up to the light that Jesus Christ has given me. Does this make sense? Let me share with you a verse here from 1 Timothy. This comes from Paul. Look what he says. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a what? violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. You know, there's a lot of people we find today and they're like, well, I'm a pretty good person. I treat my wife well and I don't cheat on my taxes. And I think, you know, if there is a heaven and if there is a hell, I'm sure God's going to let me in because I was good. Here, Paul is saying right off, off the bat, you know what? I'm not good, but I was shown mercy. And I would just have to tell you, if any of you Adventists here 
homeschooled good little Adventists, you haven't been perfect either. And the only way you and I are going to be saved is because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's not because we have SDA behind our names. It's because of Jesus Christ. I heard a person say one time the only way that he could really find rest in Jesus Christ is when he gave up on the church of being his Savior. And he realized that Jesus Christ is his Savior. Friends, it's not the rules that you and I go through that saves us. The rules will protect us from a lot of heartache, that's for sure. But the thing that saves us is Jesus Christ. Here Paul says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Who is the one that saved Paul? Jesus Christ. Who is the one that brought light to Paul? Jesus Christ. You know, I think we've been really blessed as Seventh-day Adventists to have somebody by the name of Ellen White. I had an overdose of Ellen White growing up. I was homeschooled whenever I was punished for doing something wrong, and trust me, I did a lot of things wrong. I'd have to write out a paragraph from Ellen White 50 times. I remember when I moved out of the house, I took all of her books, put them in a box, stuck them in the back corner of the attic, and I was free. I began my life as a Badventist. But you know, I've really come to like Ellen White, and I want to share with you some quotes from Ellen White on this topic. Remember, we're talking, is it possible for someone in, uh, in Afghanistan, or is it possible for someone in Kuwait who's never heard the name of Jesus Christ to be saved? Those whom Christ commends in the judgment may have known little of theology. Isn't that good news for those of us here? If you can't explain the whole 2300-day thing, you might not have known a lot of theology, but they have cherished his principles. Through the influence of the divine spirit, they have been a blessing to those about them, even among the heathen. Who are we talking about now? Heathen. Even among the heathen are those who have cherished the spirit of kindness. Before the words of life had fallen upon their ears, they have befriended the missionaries, even ministering to, the, to them at the peril of their own lives. You know, we've heard stories about people going out of their way and helping somebody out, and we're like, oh, that's so sweet. Too bad they didn't know the truth. You know what, folks? Those people were practicing the truth. Among the heathen are those who worship God ignorantly, those to whom the light is never brought by human instrumentality, yet they will not perish. Isn't that good news? You know, we serve a God that lights everyone who comes into the world, and God says if they're living up to the light they have, even if they're worshiping God ignorantly. Now, some of the Adamists, we know we don't worship God ignorantly because we know everything. But let me just tell you something. You know, the older I get, the more I realize we don't know it all. Now, I'm not saying I doubt the Seventh-day Adventist Church's teachings, but there's a lot of stuff you and I don't know. Some of us might even be doing something ignorantly. Does God have mercy on us? Well, that's good news for you, isn't it? And for me. They will not perish, though ignorant of the written law of God. Okay, they're ignorant of what? The written law of God. Where do we find the written law of God? It's a little book called the B-I-B-L-E, right? Though ignorant of the written law of God, they have heard his voice speaking to them in where? Does that sound like something we've heard earlier in a Bible verse? 
God speaks to people, and in the past, he's weak at their ignorance, but now he, he's given them, I mean, in the past, he's like given them his, 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 his providences and nature and speaking to them. Here it says, they've heard him speaking to them in nature and have done the things that the law required. There was this lady that went over way up in Papua New Guinea, way, way up the Supic River. And when she was up there, she found people that were headhunters. They were savages. And she had to learn their language. She had to put their language in the writing, which had never been put into writing before. And then she translated the Bible into their language, and she started teaching them about the Bible. And one day the people came up to her, and they said to her, they said, you know what? Even though we've never read this before, we still did it. We knew that it's wrong to go kill somebody. We felt bad when we'd go. In fact, we'd have to whoop ourselves into a frenzy with a lot of alcohol to go take off a bunch of heads because we knew it was wrong. Here we have marriage. It's a little bit different than our marriage. A guy sees a girl and they run off in the bush and they come back married. But you know what? After they're married, you don't go and sleep with her. That's wrong. We know it's wrong. We know it's wrong to steal the canoe from the person across the river. We know it's wrong. Why would these headhunters in New Guinea know this stuff is wrong? God has written his law in their hearts. They've done the things that the law required. Their works are evidence that the Holy Spirit has touched their hearts and they are recognized as what? Children of God. I just love this line right here. This comes from Desire of Ages. This whole quote, I'll show you where it's from here in a second. How surprised and gladdened will be the lowly among the nations and among the who? Heathen. To hear from the lips of the Savior, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. How glad will be the heart of infinite love as his followers look up with surprise and joy at his words of approval. I just like that. How, how glad will be the heart of infinite joy. I mean, here's these people looking up like, who are you? And Jesus is just like overwhelmed. And then Jesus turns to one of you and says, hey, for the next million years, can you tell this person who I am and where these marks came from? How glad will be the heart of infinite love as his followers. You and I think we're followers of Jesus. It's saying these other people are followers of Jesus too. Wherever there is an impulse of love and sympathy, wherever the heart reaches out to bless and uplift others, there is revealed the working of God's Holy Spirit in the depths of heathenism. Now, we usually talk about the depths of heathenism, of all the despicable, disgusting things they do. No, even in the depths of heathenism, men who have had no knowledge of the written law of God, who have never even heard the name of Christ have been kind to his servants, protecting them at the risk of their own lives. And this is the thing that I just love to tell people when they come to me and say, you know, I have a real problem with Christianity. I mean, you guys think you're the only ones, and unless someone says the sinner's prayer, they're not going to be saved. I'm like, well, let me tell you what we believe in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And after you give somebody a Bible study like this, you know what they say? That's reasonable. Wow. Because God, friends, God is someone who loves the world so much that he died to get us into heaven. Amen. Their acts show the working of a divine power. The Holy Spirit has implanted the grace of Christ in the heart of the savage, quickening his sympathies contrary to his nature and contrary to his education. The light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world is shining in his soul. Whose soul are we talking about here? We're talking about the person that's in the depths of heathenism, and then she refers to him as a savage. And Jesus Christ is working with that person. 
Don't you want to serve a God like that? This is why we have places like Loma Linda. This is why we have places where we can come and learn our skills to be able to go out. And we're not going out to save the lost. No, 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 no. We're going out to work hand in hand, side by side with Jesus Christ. And he's the one that's going to guide you. He's the one that's going to bring people into our pathway. And whether you go over to Guam and learn how to say half a day, which half a day is not half a day. Half a day is a greeting in their native language. Or whether you come to San Francisco and say, yo, what up? You can serve God wherever you're at because he's the one that wants to work on everybody that's out there. He is the one that is shining light into his soul. And this light, if heeded, will guide his feet to the kingdom of God. I'm going to talk to you for just a minute before we close because I know there's some of you here that are scratching your head saying, boy, this is what they're coming out of San Francisco with. Everybody's going to be saved. None of us need to read the Bible anymore. None of us need to do what the church says because everybody's going to be saved. No, we're not preaching universalism here. What we're preaching is that Jesus Christ works with everybody where they're at. But for those of you here at Loma Linda, I have a warning for you. Here you go. God's test of the heathen who have not the light and of those living where the knowledge of truth and light has been abundant is altogether different. Aha! Does God have a double standard in the judgment? No. But does God judge everybody exactly the same? Yes. Have they been living up to all the light they have? You follow what I'm saying here? i got to do the trick questions, otherwise you're all going to fall asleep. But the thing to remember is it's easy to sit, oh, you know, God is going to sit there and he's going to hold up the big Bible and say, hey, you have the King James, the NIV. and you know, No, no, no. God's looking at, are you and I living up to all the light we have? And so his test of the heathen, and what's that next line there? God's test of the heathen who, let's say it all together, who have not the light. Do we have a lot of light here in America? Oh, we have so much, even on our iPhones. I mean, I, I'm actually so old. I, I'm BC, before cell phones. I mean, I was cool. When I first got out of college, I mean, I had a pager. And, you know, for those of us that are old enough here, remember, you know, you send messages to people and you could have, like, little, you know, like, numbers to say messages and stuff. Now we have cell phones. And on our cell phones, on smartphones, if you have a smartphone, I mean, you can have the Bible in, like, 40 languages on it. You can even have it read to you. Do we have a lot of light here? Yes, we do. Look what it says. God's test of the heathen who have not the light and of those living where the knowledge of truth and light has been abundant, that's us, is altogether different. He accepts from those in heathen lands a phase of righteousness which does not satisfy him when offered by those of Christian lands. So what this is telling us is that God judges people in the judgment not based on if you can recite 28 fundamental beliefs and if you have a baptismal certificate. God judges us on what? Living up to all the light you have. Not just what you know, because there's a lot of you here that know and you're not doing it. Anyway, we'll get on with that. He does not require much where much has not been bestowed. Aren't you glad God is the judge? Yes. I mean, he can just look at somebody. And he knows their past. He knows the way they were raised. He knows everything about them. Whereas we would look at them and we would just be like, oh, look what you did. God looks at everything. We shall not be held accountable for the light that has not reached our perception, but for that which we have resisted and refused. Would it be fair for us in the United States of America to judge and condemn people for stuff they didn't know and they had no way of knowing? Of course not. 
And God is not that way. You see, Satan wants people to think that God is so cruel and such a monster that he would not even be able to be a politician here in America because he's going to take all those people in Afghanistan and throw them into eternal hell and all these people in other countries and throw them into hell because they've never even had his word. But look what it says here. We shall not be held accountable for the light that has not reached our perception. What are we going to be held accountable for? For that which we have resisted and what? Refused. Now, this is a warning for those of you here that's like, you know what? I'm not going to church. I'm not going to open the Bible because if I do, I'm responsible for what's there. <laughs> that's called resisting and refusing, okay? A man could not apprehend the truth which has never been presented to him and therefore could not be condemned for light he had never had. Now, this should really make you and I be a little bit somber. Because you know those iPhones we talked, I mean, the, the smartphones we talked about a few minutes ago? I mean, I live just a few miles away from Apple, but I'm not really pushing the iPhone. So if you have the droid, I'm sorry, you're welcome to change over to the iPhone. <laughs> but you know those smartphones we talked about a minute ago? You can get all of the spirit of prophecy on that phone and get the thing to read to you for free. Have you, did you know that? Yeah. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, you come in here and I come in here and they're like, oh, Sabbath school today, Adventist home. I type AH478. Boop, there it is right there. But you know what? God is not going to condemn us for light that we never had. So you and I should not walk out of here today saying, wow, this is so good. God, just all paths lead to God. I'm okay. Judgment is not about what you know. Judgment is about what you did with the light you have. Abraham Lincoln said one time, he said, I am not bound to win, but I am bound to be true. I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live by the light that I have. I love Abraham Lincoln. I personally try to stay away from politics. They say don't talk to anybody about religion or politics. I dabble with the religion part, so I'm not going with the politics part. But I like Abraham Lincoln. I mean, some of the quotes he has is like right on. And this is one of them. He says, you know what? I'm not trying to win, but I want to be true. How many of you would like to say that this morning? I want to be true. I want to be true to my God. I want to be true to my wife. I don't have to be the best husband in the world. I have to be the best husband in the world to her. I don't have to be, I don't have to be the top of my class. I want to be true. In San Francisco, a few years ago, I had the opportunity of preaching the funeral to a hero in my mind. Because Dr. Wong, a medical doctor in the Bay Area, he went all the way through medical school. And when he comes up to do his final exams there in, uh, I believe it was in China, maybe it was in the United States, his final exams were done on Sabbath. And guess what Dr. Wong did? He goes back. He goes to medical school all over again. And I think it was at Loma Linda's where he graduated, and then he did his final exams on another day of the week. Here was a man that didn't want to win that diploma. He didn't want to win the degree. He wanted to be true. Wouldn't it be great if all of us had the goal, I want to be true to God? This was Abraham Lincoln says, I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live by the light that I have. Friends, if your goal is to win, if your goal is to succeed, you might be tempted to cut corners and you might be able to justify it by thinking that if you cut a corner and win, then it's going to be okay. Friends, let's not just be winners or successful people. Let's be true and let's live up to all the light we have. 
Well, you might say to yourself, <clears throat> why should we be so focused on light? I mean, if I have a little bit of light, you know, I went to like Adventist elementary school and that's good enough for me and I'm just going to, no, 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 no. Let me tell you a big advantage of light. Let me tell you a big advantage of why all of you should come to Advent Hope on a regular basis. Listen to Audioverse on a regular basis. Start Bible studies if you're not from this area and just go to Bible studies and learn more. It's because the more light you have, the more fun you'll have. Whenever I first moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, I was really into mountain biking. And I, had, uh, I saved up my pennies, and I went and I got myself a full suspension carbon fiber mountain bike. I mean, I was the envy of everybody. I couldn't ride the thing worth anything, but I mean, I had the bike, right? And for those mountain bikers here, we call that being a Fred. A Fred is someone who has all the gear but doesn't know how to use it. So here I am. I'm a Fred. I spent all the money on the bike. And then a friend of mine, Andy, who is a captain with Palo Alto Fire, he introduced me to something that uh, is really cool. It's called night mountain biking. How many of you guys got night riding before? Okay, a few people here night riding. Isn't it fun? It's really fun, and I hate to say this as a pastor, but in the Bay Area, most of the trails are illegal to ride at night, okay? So we'll leave that there. So I have this light about this big, and the brightest light I could get has these big C batteries in it. And so this thing, you know, you'd be going along, and it didn't have that big of a view, and you're going along, and boom, 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 and the thing would fall off, or the mount would break, because all the batteries are right there. And one day, I'm riding along, and I was always the one that was slowest. I'm always, everybody else having to wait for me. One day, Andy is like, hey, Marky, you got to check this out. And so Andy hooked Marky up with this really cool $400 light. And man, whenever I like, got hooked up with that light, I could see stuff. <laughs> And I, again, I saved my money and I went and I got myself a nice halogen <coughs> night sun rider or something like that. Because then suddenly the trails we were on, I remember we were over by Lake Chabot one time over there in the Oakland Hills and we're riding along and it's like, this is beautiful because I mean, this thing just lights up everything. And this is what your life will be like when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. This is what your life will be like when you start reading the Bible. It's not where, oh, I got to give up this fun thing and that fun thing and this fun thing. And I have to go to church and sing hymns. And then, you know, all afternoon, just wait for the sun to set so we can go on a night ride. No, when you and I, when you and I accept Jesus Christ and we learn new light, your life will just take on dimensions that you had never noticed before. And some of you are young and you're like, oh, I don't know about that because all the light we had growing up was no VCR, I'm sorry, no DVDs on Sabbath. And all the light we had was all these don'ts. Friends, my wife and I drove down here just a few days ago and we're going to close here in just a moment. And you know what? I got so fresh away with the don'ts. I mean, it's like, don't cross over the yellow line. Don't pass on a double line. Finally, I got over Pacheco Pass and we got on I-5 and it was like clear sailing. And the thing that got me, though, was don't go over 80. I mean, don't go over 70, whatever it was. <laughs> then you see a big sign. And you know what the sign says? The grapevine is closed. Mudslides. Oh, that just got my goat. <clears throat> so that night, a trip that usually takes us about five and a half hours. Don't do the math. We do drive the speed limit. I'm a pastor. <laughs> the trip that takes us five and a half hours, because we don't come all the way to Loma Linda. We go actually to Pasadena, okay? It took us 13 hours. I can tell you there's four roads, four roads that I know were closed that night. We finally found that was open. We had to actually go from Bakersfield over to Santa Maria, down 101, because of all the mudslides and everything else. It's easy sometimes as Seventh-day Adventist young people think, all oh, the rules just slow me down. But you know, it wasn't until the next day when I started looking at the news, and 
God is so good to us. <laughs> when we were driving, we missed the mudslide on I-5 by about four hours. But because of the storm was moving slow enough, I was able to get down. Well, Pat was driving, so she's a really good driver. So I was the navigator, and I'm a really good gator. So we were able to take side streets. And when I look back over on the road going toward Mojave, the road closed there at 6.30, and we were there at 6. So we almost got in front of the storm. And that's actually the worst spot. They say there's still 75 semis that are covered in up to 20 feet of mud there. And, you know, I, just, I was, getting, it was just getting my goat that night. All the cops, turn around, turn around, turn around, road closed. Let me just go. we got four-wheel drive in this thing. I'll show you. <laughs> and you know what, friends? The more light you and I have, the more we obey God's rules, the more we obey his principles, the more you're going to enjoy life. Because all I can say now is I just wish at Bakersfield, instead of spending three hours trying to find every way up there in Mojave to Hatchby go through, if we had just said, okay, let's drive over to Santa Maria, we would have been in bed by midnight that night. And as you get older, you're going to find that true happiness comes by following God, by following his rules, by living up the light he gives you. But I'll tell you what, what about the light you didn't know? God isn't going to hold you accountable in the judgment for that. But the light you don't know is the stuff that's going to burn you down here on this earth. So get more light because the more light you have, the more you're going to be able to enjoy the life that God wants you and I to have. So don't be like the person. I know if people are like, oh, I don't read the Bible or spirit of prophecy because I don't want to be held responsible for what I read. No. When you read the Bible and spirit of prophecy and you put those things into practice, you'll be able to have a life like Jesus Christ wants to give each one of us. And it's not just like the life that a cockroach has, a life that a worm has, a life that a rabbit has. It's called the life more abundant. And a more abundant life, like another translation says, you'll be able to live life to the fullest. Three difficult questions. Three easy answers. The last question do you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Say the sinner's prayer in order to be saved. Otherwise, everybody will be lost. And what's the answer to that? No. And it was God who gave that message to the Seventh-day Adventist Church over 120 years ago through the spirit of prophecy, but also it's found clearly in Scripture. And what is God's test of the judgment? What is God's test of the heathen? What is God's test of the Seventh-day Adventists at Loma Linda in the judgment? Living up to what? All the light we have. So as we close today, I want you to just look at this picture of mountain biking. And if you're not a mountain biker, come on up to San Francisco Bay Area. I'll uh, point you in the right direction. <laughs> when you and I live in the light that God has given us, when we seek more light, our life is a life that's more abundant. Your life is a life where you can finally say, you know what, I'm finally living. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear God in heaven, we want to thank you for giving us the Holy Scriptures. And I just want to thank you for each person that's here today. Many people here have many things they could be doing. But you have promised in your word a very special blessing for those who hallow your Sabbath day. So I just pray that you would bless each person here with a Sabbath blessing. But I also pray, dear God, would you please convict our hearts on the things that we need to change, the things that we need to do so we can be living up to the light that we have. 
Your commandments are not burdensome. Your rules are not a hindrance. They actually bring life and health to our bodies. So I pray for each person here that you would guide us in our lives. And may we bring glory to you in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.